Bennett, and you're listening to Highway Butterfly, the stories of Neil Cassell. Neil was a gifted singer, songwriter, musician, and friend to many. He released 14 albums as a solo artist and collaborated on countless projects with other musicians. After his passing in 2019, his friends and family created the Neil Cassell Music Foundation to provide instruments and music lessons to students in New York and New Jersey and to support organizations that offer musicians mental health care. One of the featured projects of the newly formed foundation is the tribute album, Highway Butterfly, The Songs of Neil Cassell, a sprawling 41-song collection bringing together a galaxy of rock and roots luminaries. We've asked the contributing musicians to share their memories of Neil and their stories of making the record. Highway Butterfly, The Songs of Neil Cassell is out on November 12th. Pre-order the album and learn more about the Neil Cassell Music Foundation at neilcassellmusicfoundation.org. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. Thanks for uh, getting me on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for joining. I can see you're at Plyer Studio, as usual. Yeah, yeah as usual. Here I am in my chair. I'm, uh, I'm in my place with a bright, shiny face. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, where all the magic happens. Speaking of, uh, this is where you co-produced and engineered Highway Butterfly, the songs of Neil Cassell. And along with that, you even play a little horse collar on the album. <laughs> well, yeah, th- you're, you're correct. We're, uh, <laughs> this, is my, this is my little studio, and this is where we were. We, we did Neil's re- record here, the Highway Butterfly record, and we were just racing along at a fever pitch right before COVID hit, so we, we were derailed a little by that, but we still managed to uh, touch on all the songs that were on the, the record in one way or another, either producing or engineering here or taking files from the musicians from their other studios and compiling it and mixing it and finishing it up all here, yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you know, not many people play the horse collar quite as well. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm your go-to guy for that. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. Everyone, take note. <laughs> so, can you describe your role as a co-producer a bit and what that entails? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, on this particular project, Dave Schools and I, and Gary too. We got to give credit to Gary Waldman. He was he's as much a producer as the rest of us. But it, the producer does a lot of things. He he kind of organizes the logistics of who's coming who's available, what song they'd like to do. And then when you actually get the artist to make those decisions and actually get in the studio in front of a microphone, the producer sort of just guides the session and tries to make everybody comfortable and pick a tempo, pick a key, kind of look around to see who's in the room and you know who's playing what. And you know sometimes we had a lot of guitar players and sometimes we only had one and two keyboard players or just whoever's in the room from wherever they came from then you have to figure out a nice sound and suit and, you know, honor, serve the artist and make them comfortable so they can do their best performance. And then just trust the fact that everyone in the room is in it for the right reason and playing their best and making a nice sound and making it feel good. And just keeping your eye on all of that stuff at the same time, and then hoping that by the end of the day, you have a record. That's basically it. You just hold on to your hat and hope that, you know, by dinner time you've got something that can be part of the process, be part of the, the product. 
You make it sound pretty simple, but then you continue listing things. So I know it's actually a very complicated, involved process, but. It's just a lot of paying attention. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everyone who's in the room is, you know, if they didn't already know the song, they have to learn it. And then you have to pick an arrangement and a key and just see who's playing what and look around the room and make a nice sound. And all that kind of stuff doesn't happen automatically. It, you just really rely on the musicians for their experience in, in these moments to, you know, not play too much or not play too little or not step on somebody else or get out of the way when, when the artist is singing. And then just concentrating on, like, where's the good stuff? Where, where, where's the groove the deepest? Where is the vocal the most inspired? Where was, where's the best guitar solo? You're just remembering where it is and not having to waste time just constantly reviewing the takes. You know, at, at some point you have to pay attention and, make, and commit and make decisions. So that's a big part of the job. Right. So there were 40 plus artists on Highway Butterfly. So that's a lot of attention to detail. Well, yeah, there were 40 artists, but I think there are over 130 musicians. Right. And uh, God bless them. They're, everyone everyone really, really, really served it up. There's, there's kind of no low points. There can't be. You know, the songs are great and the spirit that everyone came into it with. Everyone came into it with such heart and soul that uh, it's a great listen. I, I, you know, I listen to it pretty frequently because we're, we're still, you know, just, just through the process, just all the mixing and then the mastering and now the vinyl. We're constantly checking, you know, the sound and the, the product and the quality. And so I, I, I've listened to it a lot and it still surprises me uh, what we did and how fast we did it and how amazing it really is. I'm so impressed by everybody that came to us. I had never been part of anything quite like this at all. Right. It's absolutely something special and it sounds amazing and yeah, definitely no low points or, or skips at all. It's, yeah, it's gorgeous. That's right. So obviously um, you knew Neil since the very beginning. So you have, you know, you know, these songs really intimately. You produced his first solo album, Fade Away Diamond Time. You produced the last Circles Around the Sun record. So what was it like hearing all these songs that you knew so well reinvented by all these artists? Oh man, very, very bittersweet. And uh, yet the interpretations were just so fresh. Like some people just completely reinvented the song as their own, which is so spectacular. And even something for even, I mean, doing, doing a version completely different from how Neil did it, to me is just the spark of creativity that artists have. I personally would have a hard time reimagining Neil songs kind of any other way except sort of the way he did it but maybe with different people or a different tempo you know just but but the, the way Neil did it like that burns into my psyche and my soul of like that's that song that's how that song should be and then when someone comes along and completely reinvents it like Dinosaur Jr oh my gosh you know like so creative and so different and um, Jonathan Wilson with the Detroit or Buffalo so perfect the way he did it for him and but uh, you know leslie mendelson did feel no pain and it was it was it really honored his version and i thought it was spectacular and so close and then i realized in reviewing neil's version and leslie's version leslie did it in a different key and because of that like the chord shapes are different and it almost has a different more uplifting kind of soulful gospel feel the way she does it as opposed to the way deal did it i thought it was just like her take on his song with a similar arrangement. 
But the key change made all the difference in the world, and it's not the same at all. All my friends were here today, and they all were talking. They had such good things to say. Oh, yes, they did. I see you standing by the gate, and silence be red. It makes me wish there was a way I could make your dreams up and You know, these are things that you just constantly marvel at and, you know, kind of grateful for. It's like, that happened. And wow, we get to use this. So thanks, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sometimes maybe it's intentional. Sometimes happy accidents happen. And yeah, both, you know, the interpretations and the truer to the essence of the song are absolutely captivating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So how did you meet Neil initially? I met Neil through Gary Waldman. Gary is my manager and was Neil's manager. And uh, when I met Gary, he was working at a record company in New, New Jersey or New York, kind of a, uh, like a heavy metal kind of a record label. And I, for some reason, got hired to produce a band on this label. And uh, Gary was like the A&R kind of go-between guy between me and the artist and the label and whatnot. So I was in New Jersey or New York, wherever we were, New Jersey, I think, making the record. <laughs> and I had, I had regular meetings with Gary about the process. And over the course of these meetings, we were chatting and, you know, we became friendly and it was became, you know, like we had a, we had a good connection. He's a great guy. And, and one day he says, hey, you want to hear something else that, I'm, that I have? You want to hear some songs? And I was like, sure, man. So he puts on Neil Casal's first homemade demos. And of course, they're great. They're, there's his beautiful voice and his guitar playing and, you know, these beautiful songs in their, you know, when they, in their infancy, when they were just being demoed at home. And I said, well, Gary, this is, this is actually the kind of music that I love more than the record that I'm making for you and your company, you know, like I, I'm doing my best, but I love that kind of singer songwriter. That's where my heart is. So Gary started, started pursuing the relationship between all of us. And so I met Neil through Gary and there was uh, some meetings in New Jersey and some meetings in California. And then Gary set this all up. We, 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 we got together and actually made demos, which got him a publishing deal and then a record deal. And then we set about to make the record and, you know, you, then you start over and all this happened pretty quickly within a year or so. He went from like, how do you do to let's make demos. Suddenly he got a record deal and a publishing deal. And then we're in the studio making his, his first album in California. And it was, that's a pretty dream come true story, you know, just sort of meant to be. And then you never stop. You continue working together for the next several decades. Yeah, yeah well, we did. Neil, we did Fade Away Diamond Time, and then Neil made another record, a second record. Forget the process of that one necessarily. And then, then we got together for his third album, kind of with the same cast of characters, recorded in L.A., did the third record. And then uh, by that time, Neil was really coming into his own and meeting people. And, you know, everybody, myself included, that met Neil, somehow wanted to get him in their band. 
So he was in everybody's band. And, and, you know, he's so talented. He's such a great singer, great guitar player, plays beautiful acoustic, great electric, plays piano, so versatile. And I started to hire him to play on other records that I was producing. Like I, you know, put together an all-star band and Neil was around and he could wear so many hats. So he would be my go-to guy on a lot of records that I was producing here in California and elsewhere. And then the next thing you know, those artists would fall in love with them and say, well, man, you're great. Do you want to go do some shows with us? You want to be in our band? You want to go do some press? And it just happened time after time until he was like in about five bands and so busy that you didn't, I didn't see him anymore. Right? You know, I see him every once in a while, but he was always on tour, always in a tour bus, literally playing in several bands at the same time. And then uh, finally, you know, we, with his new love, his new band, The Circles Around the Sun, we were, we were making that record when he passed away. So we were very bittersweet to think that, uh, that, that, that all had to go down that way. And, I, and Circles Around the Sun, who I loved so much, was still, uh, you know, the, they, they, it's instrumental. Like Neil wasn't even singing, which is such a shame because he has such a beautiful voice. But I also, uh, you know, it's just another side of him. Like he was, he was happy to not sing. He was happy to, to be a lead guitar player and be in that world. Uh, it, was, it was fantastic. But yeah, you know, I'm sure we... Uh, I thought we'd just be together forever until, you know, I shouldn't, no, none of us certainly expected him to, you know, take his life and, and leave us that way. But uh, that's, how it, that's how it went. And it's just such a shame. This podcast is brought to you by Backline, the music industry's mental health and wellness resource hub. Launched in 2019, Backline gives artists, crews and their families quick and easy access to mental health and wellness resources. Backline provides individuals with case management and offers virtual support groups as well as yoga, meditation, and breath work. To donate, learn more, or get in touch for personalized care, visit backline.care. That's B-A-C-K-L-I-N-E dot C-A-R-E. We're grateful for all the music and it's definitely no small catalog. So That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, you know, from being an instrumental guitarist to a singer songwriter and everything in between, he had an incredible scope of work and so many different sides and interests. Well, he made everyone better. You know, I mean, just ask ask any of those guys who you know, took advantage of his talents. You know, if you ask Chris Robinson, like, what was it like having Neil in your band? He would say, oh, it was great. I mean, he's right there. Great harmony singer, great support guitar player, great lead guitar player, cool looking, uh, you know, sane, you know. <laughs> uh, Ryan Adams, too, you know. Ryan, uh, you know, was way better with Neil than without him. And uh, I'm sure he would say that if you asked him. And uh, just right down the line, all the other bands that he was with, everybody everybody really needed him by their side to do what they do. Right. And there are plenty of talented people. There's obviously other reasons that you and others continue to hire him for whatever it may be. Was it something about his style in the studio? What was it like to work with him? Well, it was great working with him. I mean, he, but he was great. He was just, he was such a natural harmony singer. 
that's a lot of what I used him for. Uh, you know, just making that sound, you know, you go, you get, you get a lead vocal on there and it sounds really fine. And you put a harmony on there that's perfect and it sounds like a record, you know, playing a, playing, playing a guitar or a guitar solo. You know, the music always just has to support the song and the singer. And although he was great and wonderful and played in time and always had beautiful instruments and made a nice sound, all of that was so important. But none was more important than serving the song and making the song come alive the way he did as um, as a harmony singer and honoring, you know, honoring the artists that he was with and supporting them the way he did. And uh, on his own albums, too. I mean, it was we spent more time on the vocals than than anything else, really. And we kind of um, not that he didn't sing out of tune or anything. He did. He's a human. But he he just was always looking for the right interpretation of his own lyric. And um, sometimes when you're in that process, you get caught up in listening to how does is it in tune? Is it in time? Does it feel good? Do I like it without really imagining what he's saying? It becomes a process. It becomes building blocks. And I regret now that I didn't spend more time listening to the exact words when I was kind of just caught up in the process of let's get this verse or let's get this chorus. And, you know, that was one of the, the biggest eye opening things about making the whole 40 album, 41 song album that we did, Highway Butterfly, just being forced to face his lyrics after all these years, even records that I made, songs that I recorded and produced and mixed. I was hearing them again for the very first time, reading the lyrics, going, uh-oh, <laughs> really? Right. Oh, hmm. Maybe, maybe, I should have, uh, maybe I should have been aware of this before, of what he was saying, you know? I mean, everything can be interpreted more than one way. But, you know, after, after his death, his lyrics, when you might have interpreted them one way, suddenly became clear that there was a clear uh, another message inside those lyrics that I really regret not um, not seeing or understanding at the time. Well, he also, you know, tended to have very sunny sounding melodies and a lot of like uplifting. You know, the the music behind it made it easy to miss or make you think that maybe like. It seemed maybe it seemed a little sad, but you're probably wrong because, you know, he was a sunny guy, I think, mm -hmm. like you said. So it's, it's, it was easy to miss, I think, for everyone. We got a demo of Neil singing Sunny Side of the Street way back when he was a kid. He made it for his dad, I think. And, <laughs> you know, there you go. Sunny Side. Grab your cup, get your hat, and leave your smile what a beautiful man you know just, just uh his eyes were always clear he, he never showed up you, you know he was just solid as a rock never never got high or drunk on the session and it just was perfect and 
dependable and stayed late and brought good gear and brought a good attitude. He's the perfect guy you want. Perfect guy you want in a session. Helping you do what you do. And whether it was on his own music or somebody else's, it was just, he wanted the same things everybody else wanted. There was really no, no miscommunication about it. You know, we were, everyone, it was just, we knew where to go when he was in the room. Mm-hmm. So I know that you hired him for a lot of, a lot of projects that maybe a lot of people don't even know about. And his, his list of credits is so long that I don't think, I mean, I'm constantly discovering songs that I think that like maybe even Gary doesn't know that like Neil happens to like have a guitar line on this song and it's just endless. So are there any, are there any like albums or songs that you worked with Neil on that like maybe people don't realize is part of his, you know, long legacy? Well, yeah, I could tell you one that, you know, a pretty unsung, a very famous rock star, great guy, James Eha uh, in the Smashing Pumpkins, super cool guy. And I was hired to produce his record and we were doing it at his home studio in Chicago, which was spectacular, uh, you know, state of the art, good console, 24 track tape recorder, all the gear, good guitars, good amps. And, you know, and James had wrote beautiful songs and sunny and beautiful and smiley and gentle and folk rock and really, really kind of like the opposite of the pumpkins, which doesn't surprise me, but really great. And it came to that part of the process where we had to finish it up. We we'd gotten the bones. We'd pretty much gotten James's lead vocals. And then it was time to like put in some color. So in come Neil Casal and starts to put the harmonies on the record. And suddenly it just started to sparkle. James as a front man is a wonderful, gentle, sweet sounding man with a great voice. But when Neil sang harmony with him, it sparkled like a hit record. It just mm-hmm. was like, this is perfect. This is timeless. This is really, really wonderful. And, you know, James, with his relationship with the Pumpkins, the record was never really given the kind of push that it probably would have received had he not been in a, a bigger band than, you know, in a, he was in a big band like that. And I, I don't really understand the whole politics, but I don't think they wanted James to have a hit record. I think they wanted him to stay right where he was in the Smashing Pumpkins and not have any competition. And I, I don't, I don't really understand the whole politics of it, but I, I saw it happen. But Neil then went around the world with James doing press and promo and the two of them, there's lots of videos of the two of them out there doing, you know, just little gigs to, you know, duo gigs and, I'm sure they went to radio stations and played live and all that kind of stuff. And so that's that's one in particular where he, in my opinion, really made it a lot better. Not mm-hmm. It wasn't bad before, but with Neil, it was a very beautiful, sparkly record. It was just better because of him. And that, 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 that's certainly one. Uh, Tiff Merritt is another one. You know, she's such a powerhouse and we had such an all-star band and I didn't I didn't produce that one, but it's it's the kind of thing where I, I was involved to the point where, you know, when I got Neil on the record, I know she loved him and, and he helped a lot. That was that was cool. 
just, I don't know, there's, there's a lot. Yeah, he never, ever, ever let me down. And he played on, and, and he played on a lot of records with bands you never hear of, you probably won't hear of. Mm-hmm. And then that's fine. I think that's probably most of the music business. There's so much product out there that you're never going to hear. But those people still deserve your full effort and your full concentration. I mean, they're paying good money to try to get their music out there. And to come in and not give your best every time would be a disservice. And Neil never did that. He was fully there on on everybody, whether it was a big star or someone you're never going to hear of. Do you have any stories about recording Fadeaway Diamond Time? Yeah. We had done the demos with his buddies, his band in New Jersey, and they were great. And they got us, you know, noticed and got the record deal. So we decided to make the record in California out here with me. And we decided to kind of use an all-star band. So we just started, we called, you know, Bob Glaub, famous bass player of all time, played with everybody since the beginning of time, out on the road right now with Jackson Brown. Um, And we called Don Heffington, our, you know, the sweetest drummer in the world, recently passed away, sadly, from, you know, complications, leukemia. But he, Don and Bob were like the best rhythm section in the world. And of course, our trusty John Ginty, who I should have mentioned, it's hard to talk about Neil without talking about John. We talk about Gary a lot, but Ginty was there from day one and is a big part of Neil's sound, always has been and always will be, and is a real champion for us. I've, I love John, and John's been on a lot of records that I've produced. He's my go-to guy. We probably made 40 records together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so we come out to California and we're all set. We're getting ready to go to a studio. My well, there was a go-to studio that I liked. A friend of mine had a studio and we were we had booked it. We're gonna go in, everything's ready. We're everyone's in California in hotel rooms, we're all set to go. And then he calls us and says, um, the studio owner calls us and said, uh, I've got a big problem. I can't uh, I got uh, Perry Farrell in the studio and he's refusing to leave. He's not gonna he's going overtime and he's gonna I gotta boot you guys out and we were like, what do you mean you're booting us out? We we put a deposit on the studio. We want to come into the studio. And he goes, ah, let me let me figure it out. Let me figure it out. So he comes back and he says, well, I can put you, I got this other studio up out of town, up in Solvang, in this big mansion overlooking a river. And I can put you up there for the same price, but you got to drive two hours out of town to go there. And we're thinking, that sounds like a big pain. You mean we got to like load up all the gear and go up there and stay there instead of sleeping in our own bed at night. Oh man, really? But we were stuck. We had to, we had to do it. We had to, there was no way to quickly zigzag and change our plan. So off we go to this mountaintop gorgeous mansion called Palacio del Rio, palace on the river. And uh, Don and Bob came up and there was bedrooms for everybody and a big kitchen. It was, it was, it was pretty funny and pretty insane. And, uh, we uh, we just set everything up in the living room and hung tapestries on the wall and threw blankets and pillows over the guitar amps and and just kind of recorded it guerrilla style in a house instead of a recording studio, and it was spectacular. It was just the most fun. Um, and during that time period, you know, California used to have like proper weather instead of just fires and earthquakes. We used to have weather. And there was a huge rainstorm during that time and the power was going out every other day. And there was a huge uh, mudslide in between that city and Los Angeles. So we couldn't even get home without driving like the other direction and around the block and four hour drive 
around the mountains. We couldn't even drive down the road to go home. So there was, uh, you know, there was a lot of times where we're right in the middle of, re of recording, big storm, power goes out, and we all just sit there in the dark going, well, what can we do now? You know, there's, you know, the internet hadn't been invented and the cell phones hadn't been invented. And we're, we're just sitting in the dark, lighting candles going, well, I guess we better drink everything is in the refrigerator before it gets warm, you know? <laughs> so it was, it was great. It was so fun. And there was an element of, come on, we can, we can do this. We can put on some costumes and put on the show right here. You know, doing a live remote recording in a house in the middle of nowhere for a guy's first record. I think that would really terrify and shake up uh, a lesser artist. But it, it, it became one of the most fun times of our life. And uh, I think about it all the time. And we see pictures from it all the time. And it's well documented. There's lots of video. And, and I'm talking about, you know, video, like VHS kind of video and Lots of 35 millimeter slides and all that kind of stuff of, of, the, of that time period. It was so fun. It was a really, really magical time in our life, in my life for sure. That sounds amazing. Um, how about any of these later albums, um, like Return in Kind or, you know, some of the kind of mid later in career albums? You know, after a while, the thing became like you had to, you had to learn how to make records quickly. The days of you know spending months and months making a record were not in our cards because we didn't have the budgets for it. I mean, if you were Fleetwood Mac or somebody else, you could you know spend that kind of money. But usually with Neil, the records happened very quickly because we kind of had to. But we always had such a great band and always tracked with a full room. So by the end of it, like basically that's what the record sounds like live on the floor at that moment. Like if it didn't sound like a record, then we were doing something wrong. It needed to sound like a record that day at that moment as they were recording it. And then we thought ahead like, okay, well, of course, we're going to put a tambourine on it. And of course, we're going to put a horse collar on it. And we're going to put a, a harmony vocal and a, a guitar solo. But the bones of the record had to happen at the exact moment that we were recording it. And it had to sound like a record because there really wasn't any way to manipulate stuff on tape the way you manipulate manipulate stuff now in Pro Tools with sampling and editing and you know just fixing everything that you need and want to fix whether you need to or not but that's just kind of how it went from then on in I mean luckily he, he was a kind of a studio pro good under pressure always sang in tune and it was kind of like making this highway butterfly you kind of do a song a day and you're done like get good people get a good song good singer you know like John Boylan said to me one time a steady track and an inspired vocal, got yourself a little hit record. So that's kind of what Neil did. You know, he just, we, we got a groovy band and he sang great, great songs. Not hard. The last sessions for the Circles Around the Sun record, um, I guess that was around two years ago now. Um, do you have any memories from that session that like you kind of treasure and, you know, moments that you look back and kind of appreciate in a different way? Yeah. Well, I was so grateful to meet those guys. I didn't know Dan and, and Adam and Levy, but meeting them, they all just bring such love into the room. And they're doing something that, in at least in my world, is really unique. You know, every record that I've ever made has been a singer-songwriter record. The only instrumental records that I've ever done are the Circles record and a, a recent Joe Satriani record. And you know, usually you need a singer and songs, and th that's the whole point. But the circles was not like that. So they come into my place 
and they just make a magical sound. You look around, it's like, how is all of this happening? How is all this sound happening with only these four guys? You know, Adam, of course, is pretty genius, and Dan Horn, you know, is doing all kinds of stuff that you don't notice. You think he's just playing bass, but he's doing a lot more than that. He's got drum machines and foot pedals, and he's just things are going on. And I, one thing that I remember, which makes me happy, is Neil came in with, and you know, Neil's played all over the world. He's got all kinds of equipment, big bands, little bands, been on tour a million times, and he brought like his good amp and his good guitar, and we're playing it and just didn't sound very good. He was like, yeah, this doesn't sound very good. And I go, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm gonna try something else. I'm gonna try one of my old amps. So we so we go get one of my old amps and plug it in. And it sounds so sweet. It's like, oh, well, this is great. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's just use that. So we did, we we're using that the whole time and Neil's playing great and it sounds beautiful. And so we come to the end of our time because we had a break because Neil had to fly and go to Lockin and which was his last shows you know, before he, before he uh, passed away. And he said to me, um, he said, you know, I, when I come back, I need to, uh, I need to finish up all these guitars. Um, we're going to do them up at Dan's place. Can I, can I borrow your amp so I can go and have the same sound? And I said, of course, man. Yeah, just take it. He says, okay. So, you know, you think at that moment, like, well, he's thinking ahead. He's thinking ahead to life, like what he's going to do. He's He's got plans. He's going to borrow my amp. He's going to go to Lockin. He's going to come home. He's going to go to another studio. He's going to get the same sound. He's going to keep making this record. Yeah, this is fantastic. But, you know, he came home and none of that happened. Right. So, you know, it's a it's a happy memory, but it's also really, really, you know, really bittersweet for all of us to think of all the things that he said to us and we all took it as forward thinking but right. somehow yeah somehow there was a there was a big disconnect that uh, you know that we missed but i missed yeah oh that's really hard the record is incredible despite mm -hmm. you know all the circumstances yeah it is and uh, yeah I feel so bad for them too, you know, not that the, the, you know, they're playing with great guitar players and you, you know, and it's, you certainly wouldn't, wouldn't want to say about any of the guys that have stepped in to, to fill in their Neil's shoes at that moment, you know, in, in the jobs and the gigs that they've done. But the four of them had a real thing going on. And so now that Neil's out to try to find somebody else with that magic and that connection, who is that guy is impossible. So I don't know who they're going to get to be their forever guitar player. And maybe they can't, and maybe they won't. And maybe that's 
how it's supposed to be. So, right. It's what a shame because they've all worked so hard and they had such a good. I mean, the future was wide open for that band, and it still is. But just what a derailment! What a just what a what a sad. Like, oh my God, really? Just well, you just pick up and carry on. That's all you can do. Just 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 get back on the road. You know, just pick up and go. Yeah, I think that's a uh, you know kind of what his advice might be keep going yeah. but uh yeah i think i think there are good things ahead for them i'm excited oh, about yeah. their their new guitarist uh john lee shannon who kind of looked to neil as a mentor so that's pretty cool because i know that neil learned a lot from you and and yeah. a lot of the the guys from the all-star band so it's kind of a passing of a torch in a way well i'd love to go see him and uh you know we're still in the middle of this terrible pandemic and shows are being canceled and you know, people's lives are being affected. And we didn't know how good we had it. What a simple life where you could just go get on a plane and go do a gig or go to a meet and greet or like hug people. It's like, wow, I'm so lucky. I get to stay, you know, in my little spot here and, you know, make sure that everyone stays safe. But I, I get to, people come to me, which is a miracle. Mm-hmm. Very lucky about all that. Yeah. And we're lucky to have, you know, recordings and, this the past you know year and a half yeah true all these albums continue to come out unlike other things so that's kind of all we have so very very grateful for it mm-hmm. all right jim well thank you so much for your time and sharing your stories and memories about making the album and your time with neil thanks for being such a good partner in all of this as we you know just thanks for being involved in it it's uh you know, I, I just I just wish that Neil could listen to this record with us. You know, I mean, I wouldn't have, you know, I just wonder what he would think. I think uh, I think he'd be laughing. I could just see him laughing and, and just especially some of them. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I hope I never have to do this again, but I will if I have to, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, especially with some of the songs you named, I think he would probably be pretty blown away. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Alan, there's so many more too, like uh, Derek and Susan's. I was talking to them about doing it, and you know they had their own issues. You know the Tedeschi Trucks Band is a huge band, and to get to you know to ask a, you know twelve people to you know find a studio and do like a version of a song. And it was like the, you know, the pandemic logistics of that whole experience was insane, like not possible. And so we were just, and I said, look, I need something small. I've got drums and bass and guitars and keyboards and background vocals and hand claps on everything. I need something small from the heart. Just go after that song that way. And of course, you know, one guitar and Susan's vocal, and it's just huge. It's just killer. Like that takes that takes some heart to do that and they did so Mm -hmm. that's one of the biggest and the most beautiful surprises of the whole record everybody knows a little bit of something everybody's got the time to make it last even if tomorrow's looking like a daydream, it ain't.
slowly watch it pass Oh yeah Cause you will have your own day in the sun You will have your own day in the sun Your day will come Yeah, I love that they've kind of integrated it into like their standard lineup you know they really made it their own yeah no doubt no doubt any other uh standouts you want to mention oh man i wish i had the list in front of me of everything i'm there's a story for everyone we should just do this again in a day or two and and we'll talk about every song yeah do that oh okay let's do a part two for sure okay (laughs) all right well thanks jim and can't wait to hear more Okay, well, let's talk soon. You be well. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Right, bye. Thanks for listening to Highway Butterfly, the stories of Neil Casal. Tune in next week to hear more from the artists who made this tribute album a reality. Highway Butterfly, the songs of Neil Casal is out on November 12th. All album net proceeds go to the Neil Casal Music Foundation. You can pre-order the album and learn more at neilcasalmusicfoundation.org. Osiris.